praise your holy name. Praise your holy name. You may be seated. Now, I want to thank Jim Jackson and Betsy Roy for allowing me to be here today with you. And I also want to thank our precious Anne. And thank you, Anne, for introducing me. All those nice words that you said about me. I also want to thank the pastor and his wife for opening up this house to us. We need to really bless them and just pray for them and bless them. I also want to say thank you to my personal hostess, Dot Creel. Thank you so much. You've been so sweet to me, and I appreciate that. I would like to recognize a couple of people here this morning. My sister, Darlene Johnson. Darlene, if you'll just stand up for a second. She, I just moved into her home when I went into full-time ministry. She opened up her home, and she said, just come live with me and travel and do whatever God wants you to do. So I praise God for her. She is on my board of directors as my secretary and treasurer. I also want to introduce Barbara Norris. Barbara, if you'll stand up. She is my vice president. She still lives in Lake City, but we are still very much connected. And her mother, Bonnie Ward, is with us today, and we appreciate that. There are two ladies from Lake City that made the trip over this morning that I want to recognize, and that is Peggy McKenzie and Audrey Young. Where are you guys at back there? I thank you so much for making that trip over here this morning to be with us. And um, Audrey is over or part of the Pregnancy Crisis Center in Lake City, so that's part of my heart as well and hers. So she would love to meet you after <laughs> the service today. And I want to also recognize a couple of ladies from Georgia. Uh, Ruth Larson, if it had not been for Ruth, God directing her to introduce me to Jim Jackson, I would not be here today, so I appreciate Ruth Larson. Jerry Tuck, who is from also from Georgia. These are glow ladies from way back in the early 80s. And then when I got here yesterday, I was so surprised to see Hazel Long. Hazel, where are you? There she is. Hazel is from Georgia. She was in a glow lady. She moved to Lake City, Florida. There was not an aglow in Lake City. I had been in Georgia in a glow. I went into the women's prisons every week to hold a Bible study inside the women's prisons. Then God moved me to Lake City. Well, Hazel had got there maybe six months before I did. She happened to be at my church, and she was like, I can't believe there's not an aglow here. We've got to get an aglow. So she did all the legwork. And then we had an organizational meeting, and she only was president for four months, and then she turned it over me, and I was involved with it for 16 years before I, March the 19th was my last day as president in Lake City before uh, I gave that up. So Hazel is very special to me, too, and I just appreciate her uh, being here. And, of course, I appreciate each one of you being here as well. Uh, I wanted to let you know about a couple things that are on the product table. They are not for sale. Uh, this is just information about me and about my ministry. If you would like to know more about me, please stop by there and pick this up. Also, I was originally supposed to do a seminar session, and um, the room where I was going to be in would hold about 100 ladies. Well, um, I don't know how many of you know about Aglow or know about uh, the hospitalities, the walk in your neighborhoods, prayer walk in your neighborhoods. Well, this calendar is a part of that program, and I personally know the person that puts this together every year, and she called me and she said, how many calendars do you need? I'll send them to you to give away to the ladies. And I said, well, 100. So she sent me 100, so there may be more than 100 here, but anyway, they are on the table and they are free for you just to pick up and take. They've got wonderful, wonderful things in there to teach you how to reach your neighborhood for the Lord, how to get out there and prayer walk it, and also invite a lady in for tea 
and just get to know her a little bit, and then God will open up the door for you to be able to share Jesus Christ with her. And it's a wonderful thing. We just had our fourth annual community-wide tea party in Lake City where we had about 75 women from over 16 churches there, and it's just a fabulous way of getting to fellowship with other women and sharing the love of Jesus Christ. Now, I know that it's been said before, and Betsy said it a little bit before I came up, about what WOW is all about. And I believe that this should be what every church, every ministry, everything should be about is Ephesians 4, where it talks about the gifts that God has given to the body of Christ. And that is apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. We have been given to the body of Christ to help perfect the body of Christ to do the work of the ministry. In other words, to help you grow up so you can do what it is that God has called you to do. You have been called for such a time as this, here and now. I share that sometimes when I go from place to place, that we are here for such a time as this. Most of the time, we only think about that uh, phrase as being Esther, that Esther was called for such a time as this. Well, you have been called for such a time as this is right here, right now, where you're at, your neighborhood, your family, your city, your state, your nation. You're here for such a time as this. You have got a work to do. But unless we grow up in him, become mature Christians, we can't really do that job that he has called us to do. A lot of people think just because, you know, I'm just one woman, I can't, you know, affect a nation. Yes, you can. You can, even if it's only by prayer, that is the most important thing. And then to go out there and reach your family, your neighborhood, whatever, for the Lord. But you can. I'm sure Billy Graham's mother did not think about, okay, I'm raising, you know, an evangelist. I'm raising someone that's going to go all over the world and preach the gospel and how many people are going to be saved. You don't know who you've raised in your home. You don't know who you are yet unless you've really got down and said, okay, God, what is it you have for me to do? What am I supposed to do? Why have you placed me here and now in this time in history for? And you have to get serious with him and say, God, what is it? What is it you want me to do? And then you go out there and you do it. And you do it with as much passion and just fervor as you possibly can. That's what he requires of us. So I usually operate in the office of a teacher, and it's my desire to present facts to you in a manner so that you will help you grow up in Christ. Now, did all of you get the little a handout with the scriptures on it? Has everybody got this? If you don't have it, would you please raise your hands and the ushers will come and, and give them to you. Ushers, there's lots of ladies that don't have them. Will you please make sure that they get them? Now, we're going to start off on the first side where it says, Joy unspeakable and full of glory. Now, I always give a lot of scriptures when I teach, and I teach kind of like line upon line, precept upon precept, here a little and there a little. So that's why I give a lot of scriptures. And I have found a way of doing this and kind of balancing so that you have a desk on your lap. And that is by opening up your Bible, putting the scriptures that I give you, because almost every scripture I'm going to talk about today is on that handout. And on the other side of your Bible, if you take notes, to have your notepad there and your ink pen and be making notes to yourself. So this may seem like a classroom to you, but my style, what God has called me into, is teaching. And so that's where I come from. Now, we're going to pray, but before we do, I want us to get our hearts ready to receive the word. In Matthew 13, Jesus gave a parable about planting seeds. Places where the seeds were sown and what kind of crop you could expect 
When Jesus was explaining the parable to his disciples, he said the seed sown was the word. And then Jesus gave examples where the word seed was planted and why it did not take root and grow. Important verses to look at is verse 20. Some even received it with joy, but when tribulation or persecution came, there was no root for the word seed to grow. And verse 22 says, states that the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word and we become unfruitful. Verse 23, but he that receiveth seed into the good ground is he that hears the word and understands it, which also bears fruit and brings forth some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. I want you to get a picture in your mind of a farmer. When he's going out to plant seed, what does he do? He gets the soil ready before he puts that first seed in there. He knows that if he does not get the soil ready, his crop is not going to come up the way that he wants it to. So he's got to remove the stones. He's got to remove the thistles. He's got to remove everything that's going to hinder that seed from coming up and from growing. So today I'm going to ask you, because in this parable it talks about the wayside, talks about the stony place, it talks about the thorns. What is our wayside? What is our stony place? What is our thorns? And how can we prepare our hearts to be that good ground to produce? 2 Corinthians 10.5 says, Casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. In Colossians 2.8 says, Beware lest any man spoil you through philosophy and vain deceit after the traditions of men, after the rudiments of the world, and not after Christ. When I think about this, I think about Oprah, I think about Dr. Phil, I think about all those people that are on television that are giving us all of their ideas as to what we should be. I'm always amazed when it comes election time when there is some politician there telling us how we should vote because we're Christians or tell us this is a way that a Christian should be, or a Christian should not get involved with politics because this is their idea of what a Christian is. We need to cast down all of those imaginations and all of those high things, all of the traditions that we have been taught that are not in the Word of God. We need to say, okay, God, what do you say? What's your word to me? Not what Oprah has to say to me, or what her idea is of a Christian and how she can do things that to me are not Christian-like but yet still say that she is spiritual. Or what Dr. Phil says is acceptable lifestyles, which we know in the Word of God they are not acceptable lifestyles. But yet too often we will turn that tube on and we will sit there and we will allow what the world has to say to come into us and it's getting in there. As Brother Hagan used to say when I was at Rama, garbage in, garbage out. We have to get the garbage out. We have to get the ground ready. We have to say, okay, God, I want to know what you have to say and what you have to say only. I don't want to know what anybody else has to say. So as we pray this morning, we're going to cast down imaginations. Every high thing that would exalt itself against the knowledge of God, we're going to bring into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. We're going to renounce the philosophies of men, the vain deceit, and the traditions of men. And we're going to invite the Holy Spirit to bring us into all truth. 
So I'm going to ask you to just bow your heads this morning as we pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for this conference. I thank you for the women of God that you have sent to us to teach us your ways. We desire to be that good ground, Father God, that brings forth fruit and brings it forth in abundance. We want to remove the stones and the thorns from our hearts this morning. We cast down every imagination, every high thing in our life that would exalt itself against your knowledge. We do not want the philosophy, vain deceit, and traditions of men. We only want you. Holy Spirit, we invite you to lead us and guide us into all truth. In the name of Jesus, I bind every hindering spirit from the minds and the hearts of the women that are here today. And Father God, I just loose knowledge and wisdom to them. Now, Father, I desire to say only what you want me to say. I ask that my words and thoughts be clear and that your women receive what you have for them. In the name of Jesus, amen. Now, the first scripture that I gave you, and this is where I came up with the name or the title of this, Joy Unspeakable and Full of Glory, is 1 Peter 1.8. It says, Whom having not seen, ye love, and whom though now ye see him not, yet believing, ye rejoice with joy unspeakable and full of glory. But I also want to put this other scripture there too, 1 John 4.20. If a man say, I love God, and hate his brother, he is a liar. For he that loveth not his brother whom he has seen, how can he love God whom he has not seen? How many of you remember that song years ago, It is Joy Unspeakable and Full of Glory? Okay, and I'm going to try to sing this, a little bit of this this morning. I told my sister, I said, you guys might be throwing tomatoes or rocks at me or whatever, because I can't sing. I'm not a singer. But it goes like this. It is joy unspeakable and full of glory, full of glory, full of glory. It is joy unspeakable, full of glory, and the half has never yet been told. And the half has never yet been told. We have not entered into that yet, that glory. Oh, my goodness, it makes me excited to think about that joy unspeakable, that full of glory this morning. But we also have a responsibility with that joy unspeakable and full of glory. And the theme of this conference is fullness of joy. And we're going to look at how we can walk in that fullness of joy. Now, there's many scriptures in the word about joy, and just joy, joyful, there's like 195 just of those, and that doesn't include rejoice. So there is so much in the word about us rejoicing, living in joy. And the theme scripture for this conference is Psalm 1611, and I loved this, not only the first part, but the rest of it. In thy presence is fullness of joy. At thy right hand there are pleasures forevermore. Pleasures forevermore. Now that scripture alone can preach. You can just take that scripture and you can just preach from that. But I want to just share a couple more scriptures with you because there are so many of them and they are so good. Psalms 51.12, restore unto me the joy of thy salvation. In Isaiah 35.10, 51.11, 60.15, and 61.7, it talks about everlasting joy. Habakkuk 3.18, I will joy in the God of my salvation. Matthew 25.21, enter into the joy of the Lord. John 15.11, that my joy might remain in you, that your joy might be full. 
John 17, 13, that they might have my joy fulfilled in them. In Romans 5, 11, we also joy in God through our Lord Jesus Christ. In Romans 14, 17, peace and joy in the Holy Ghost. Now, when I was thinking about this, I was thinking, joy, joy, joy. What did I think about? I thought about Jan, I'm the Brady Bunch, Marsha, Marsha, Marsha. It was just like, oh, all this talk about joy, joy, joy. But then God said, okay, what you need to know is what is it? How do I get it? And how do I keep it? So hopefully today this is what I'm going to uh, bring across to you. Now, as a teacher, I always go to the dictionary and always pull up the words and always see what does the dictionary have to say. So what is joy? According to the dictionary, joy is an emotion or lively pleasure arising from present or expected good. Great gladness, delight, a source or cause of goodness or delight, gladness or delight, a state of happiness, the manifestation of glad feelings, outward rejoicing, festive gaiety, to feel joy, be glad, rejoice, rapture, bliss, pleasure, enjoyment, satisfaction, a sense of well-being. Now, the word that I loved in all of that was satisfaction. Isn't it weird how different ones of us would pick out favorite uh, words in there? But I like satisfaction, so of course I have to go to the dictionary and I have to find out what that means. To satisfy, fulfill the desires, expectations, needs, or demands of, or content, this part I love, supply fully the needs of a person. To answer sufficiently, solve, discharge fully. Isn't that neat? I want to be satisfied in his joy. Now, in the natural world, we confuse the world's happiness with joy. We think about, okay, I just want to be happy in the world. And I know that June talked a lot about that last night and why we're not a happy people. And so I had to go and I had to look up happy, and it's characterized by or indicative of pleasure, content, or gladness. Delighted, pleased, or glad as over a particular thing. Favored by fortune, fortunate, or lucky. So we say in our hearts, coming from the world's perspective, if I only had that new pair of shoes, I'd be happy. How many of us have done that? I'm a shoe horse, so I have all kinds of shoes in my closet. Love to buy shoes. If only I had that new car, I'd be happy. If only I had that new house, I'd be happy. If only I had that new job, I'd be happy. If only I had a different husband, I'd be happy. We think about if I had this thing, it's going to make me happy. That's coming from the world's perspective. And too many Christians are walking in that perspective today instead of walking into in the joy of the Lord and it being fulfilled in our life. The difference between the world's happiness and having the joy of the Lord is that when the shine wears off of that new thing, we're looking for something else to supply the joy. But instead... The joy of the Lord lasts forever and ever and ever and ever. It doesn't matter. It's not going to stop. It lasts. Our new pair of shoes are going to wear out. 
our car is going to wear out. When the shine's off of it, that new car smell when we get in it, it's going to be gone. And we're going to be saying, oh, I want another new car. And we're always looking for that other thing to make us happy, make us happy. But if we have the joy of the Lord, we are happy all the time. Now, sometimes we allow circumstances in our life to steal our joy. Remember the scripture in Matthew 13, and it's on your little handout there that I talked about when we first prayed. In verse 20, it says, Some even receive the word of God with joy, but when tribulation or persecution came, there was no root for the word seed to grow. And verse 22 states that the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word, and we become unfruitful. What happens to our joy? It's gone. Just like that shine, you know, on that new thing, it's gone. Satan knows that if he can bring enough tribulation, persecution, cares of this world, and deceitfulness of riches into our lives, most of us are going to lose our joy. We begin to look at other things, and they become bigger than God and what his word says to us. So the second thing is, how do I get this joy? Let's look again at 1 Peter 1.8. Whom having not seen, ye love. In whom, though, now ye see him not, yet believing, ye rejoice with joy unspeakable and full of glory. How do we get this joy? By believing on the Lord Jesus Christ. By walking in his ways. There is only one way to walk in the fullness of of the joy of the Lord, and that's by walking in his love. One way and one way only. If we walk in his love, we're going to walk in his joy. 1 Peter 1.18 again talks about loving the Lord whom we have not seen, and it brings us joy unspeakable and full of glory. And 1 John 4.20 says that if we do not love our brother whom we have seen, how can we love God whom we have not seen? As Christians, we are to be Christ-like in other words, we are to show the world who God is by our love one to another. How is the world going to see God? Through us and through our love one to another. If we're always fighting, bickering, we're not going to win the world. They're going to say, I have that in the world. Why do I want what you've got? However, if the world sees us walking in that love, walking in that joy, walking in that peace, they're going to say, I want what you've got. Then there's a door open, and they're going to say, why are you different? What makes you different? How can you do the things that you do? How can you go on when things are going on around you? Then that door's open, and you can say, it's because of my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. But until you're showing that love out there, until you get their attention with your love and your joy and your peace, you're not going to be able to share Jesus with them because they're just going to turn you off. They're just going to say, talk to the hand. I don't want to hear it because they hear all of this other stuff going on out here in the world. Again, back to the parable. In Matthew 13, verse 22 states that the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word and we become unfruitful. Verse 23, but he that receiveth seed into the good ground is he that hears the word and understands it, which also bears fruit and brings forth some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. Now, how do we know that we're good ground? By bearing fruit. That's how we know that in our heart 
that our heart is good ground and that we have received the word into us because we're going to bear fruit. If we're not bearing fruit, then we know that somewhere along the line, it's not been good ground and it's not been planted in us. It's not had an opportunity to grow up. We are to bear fruit, we are to be fruitful, and we are to abound in fruitfulness. You see where it says a hundredfold, some 60, some 30? Some people bring forward a hundredfold. Some people bring forth 60. Some people bring forward for 30. And John 10.10 says, The thief has come to steal, kill, and destroy. But I have come that you have life and have it more abundantly. So we are to have abundant life. We are to be abundant in our fruitfulness, in that fruit out there. Now you say, okay, well, what's this fruit? What are you talking about? Galatians 5.22 and 23. This is the fruit of the Spirit. Is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Against such there is no law. Now, in charismatic and Pentecostal circles, the majority of the time, we are putting so much emphasis on the gifts of the Spirit, the words of wisdom, the words of knowledge, the prophecy, all of these other things. But we don't give a whole lot of attention to the gifts of the Spirit or the fruits of the Spirit. So in uh, Corinthians chapter 13, it is the great love chapter. And I'm going to read this just real quickly to you. It says, Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels and have not charity, I am as a sounding brass or a tinkling cymbal. And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith so that I could remove mountains and have not charity, I am nothing. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned and have not charity, it profiteth me nothing. We can have all the gifts of the Spirit, but if we don't have the fruit of the Spirit, we're nothing. The word says that we become a sounding brass and a tingling cymbal. We have to walk in the fruit of the Spirit. Now, I have a bowl of fruit here, a basket of fruit. And I was thinking about this, and I'm thinking, oh, fruit, how sweet, how delicious it is in the natural. I don't know about you, but I love bananas. I love them. They're sweet. I think about an apple. Oh, it's just so good. I'm a fruit person. We've got two different kinds of apples here today and a tangerine and an orange. And you might think about strawberries, oh, the berries, how sweet they are. So we're supposed to be full, mature fruit, sweetness. In Psalms 34, 8, it says, Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. We're supposed to be just as sweet as this fruit. When we take a bite of it and we think about it, we are supposed to be walking around this earth as that, just that sweet, sweet fruit of the Spirit of the Lord. I want you to notice something in the list there of the fruit of the Spirit. Did you notice that the first fruit of the Spirit is love? All the rest of the fruit hinge on that first one, love. You can't have all the rest of them if you don't have that. If we do not love, we cannot have joy and we cannot have peace. When I first learned that I was going to be speaking here, uh, Betsy told me in Macon, 
And in October, I was at home and I was praying about this. And I was like, okay, God, how do you want me to approach this? What is it you want me to say? Because I knew everybody was going to be speaking on joy. And I'm just like, okay, God, I want to know what you want me to say. The first words that he spoke to me was, you cannot have peace without joy. You cannot have joy without love. So we have to have that first one. We have to have love. Everything we do has to hinge on that first fruit. Now let's look at, at a, a few minutes at the, those first three fruits, love. And the word here is agape. And we've all in charismatic and Pentecostal circles, we've, we've heard that. This is the love that God commands, the highest order of love. Love of choice. We choose to love even when everything around us tells us to hate. Faith is made active or energetic by love. Faith without love is dead and can, uh, can perform no function of the spirit life. Now let's look at joy. That which arises from a sense of God's mercy communicated to our soul. You declare his praises who saved you and called you into his service. Now, I want you to get this. Salvation is your pedigree. Joy is your vocation. Your pedigree, what you have been given, is salvation. But your vocation, what you've been called into, is joy. And then peace. Not only do we have peace with God because we have been justified by faith, but the basic idea of the root of this word is wholeness, Unity, fulfillment, and good relationships. Complete harmony in all relationships. Tranquility of mind. When I thought about tranquility of mind, the scripture that came to me was 2, Peter, or 2 Timothy 1.7. God has not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. Now, the Hebrew greeting, shalom, uh, it, when they would say this shalom one to another, it's to wish a man peace. And it is to wish him every conceivable blessing from God, everything that will be for his present and ultimate good. Now, in order to bear fruit, we must be connected to the vine, to that which brings forth life. So that brings me to the next scripture in this series. In St. John 15, we see Jesus saying, I am the true vine, and my father is the husbandman. Verse 4, abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself, except it abide in the vine, no more can ye, except ye abide in me. Verse 5, I am the vine, ye are the branches. He that abideth in me, and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit. For without me ye can do nothing. Verse 8, herein is my Father glorified that ye bear much fruit. So shall ye be my disciples." Now, a grapevine is meant to grow grapes. When the vine produces nothing, its very purpose is frustrated. I don't want to frustrate the purposes and the plans that God has for me. I want to be connected to that vine. I want to be drawing out of that vine every single thing that I need to draw out of that vine in order to live in holiness and godliness and what he has commanded me to live in. 
Now you might say, um, what fruit are we producing? It's love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, and temperance. Then the next thing that you might ask me is, how can I keep this joy? And John 15, where we were just reading, verses 9 through 13, says, As the Father hath loved me, so have I loved you. Continue ye in my love. If ye keep my commandments, ye shall abide in my love, even as I have kept my Father's commandments, and abide in love. These things I have spoken unto you, that my joy might remain in you, that your joy might be full. This is my commandment, that ye love one another as I have loved you. Really want you to get that. That's why I have that in bold there, and I have it underlined. These things have I spoken unto you, that my joy might remain in you, that your joy might be full. Notice that Jesus is telling his disciples how they can remain in his joy. He knew that he was leaving. He knew that he wasn't going to be there to walk with them every day. And he's telling them how they can stay and remain in his joy because he's not going to be there. And he was telling them how their joy might be complete. Now, the word complete means having all its parts or elements, whole, entire, full, finished, ended, concluded, to make perfect. And the word full means containing all that can be had, filled to utmost capacity, complete, entire, maximum, abundance, well supplied. You cannot have peace without joy. You cannot have joy without love. You cannot have love without knowing Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. Now, as I'm bringing this to a conclusion, the last point that I really wanted to make to you today is, regardless of circumstances, we can have joy. When we are weak, we can be strong. Nehemiah 8.10, the joy of the Lord is your strength. His joy is your strength to carry you on. Now, some of you might say, but you don't know my situation. You don't know what I've been through. You don't know what so-and-so has done to me. You don't know this. You don't know that. And no, I don't know your personal situation. However, I know what I have been through, and I know what God has brought me through. And therefore, because I know what he's brought me through, that I can tell you that he can get you through this. Just to give you a tiny, tiny uh, bit of my testimony, I had two miscarriages. I was uh, diagnosed with cancer of the cervix. They were going to do either a partial or complete hysterectomy on me, and I wanted children in the worst way. I had been married uh, for a period of ten and a half years when I finally had my first son. But I was healed not only of cancer, but then I also was, my emotions were healed because I was afraid to get pregnant again. I was afraid to go through that again because your, your expectations are so high and you are expecting that baby. And oh, you're making all of these plans for that baby. And then that baby is gone. And then you're, oh, in the depths of despair, you are so low then. And then you need to know that he is your joy, that he is your strength. If you don't know it then, it's real hard for you to, to come back up and to get back into that joy. You can, but you've got to know that he is your joy, that he is your strength. 
He took a word, a scripture. He actually gave me two when they told me that I had cancer. He gave me this scripture. Psalms 139 says, He makes the barren woman to be a joyful mother of children. And I'm like, okay, God, they're telling me that I have cancer of the cervix and that they want to do either a partial or complete hysterectomy. They're telling me there is going to be no children. But his word, his word, his word. He's not a liar. He's not a man that he can lie. So he gave me that scripture. And then during the process of healing me and healing my emotions, he gave me Romans 8, 38 and 39, which says, that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor death, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. When I found out that he loved me, regardless of what was going on in my life, regardless of the circumstances that were there, regardless of anything that anybody said, he loved me. That brought such joy to me. And I was just like, oh, he loves me. He loves me. He loves me. Why would he love me? You know, this mere human, but he loves me. And he's never going to take that love away. And nothing, regardless of the death of my children, the two children that I lost, regardless of that, he still loves me. Nothing can separate me from that love. Nothing, absolutely nothing. And I learned to rely on him. Later on in life, those two children at seven and a half and three and a half were kidnapped. And I'm just like, oh, God, how can I get through this? Oh, he got me through it. I had such peace through this that I cannot explain it to you because in the natural there is no peace in it. But I had such peace. I had his peace that I could face Whatever it was that was going on. Now, they're grown today. My oldest son is uh, 27. My youngest is 23. And they're both flourishing. My oldest son is a deputy sheriff in uh, Putnam County, uh, Florida. And my youngest one is in the ministry. So God not only brought me through, he brought them through. And he healed them. And he healed me, you know, helped me to know how to minister to them. If I had not gone through what I had gone through years before that and knew that he loved me and there wasn't anything that could separate me from his love, then I probably would have been a basket case, you know, and hearing about me in a mental institution or something. But because I knew him and I knew him as love and I knew that nothing could separate me from that love, then I could walk through this in peace and I could be there for my boys and I could help them heal and help them grow up and be the men of God that they are today. The oil of joy for mourning. The word for oil in the scriptures represents the Holy Spirit. The anointing with oil is always a picture of the Holy Spirit. Joy is a peace inside no matter what happens. Joy is way down deep. Joy is not superficial. Remember we talk about the world's happiness? It's only superficial. But the joy of the Lord is not superficial. It's way down deep. It is being anointed with the power of the Holy Spirit and receiving the oil of joy that flows from the top of your head to the bottom of your feet. No matter what happens, you can stand up and say, thank you, Jesus, for the oil of the Holy Spirit. I no longer mourn. I no longer cry. I no longer have to live the way the world says I have to live. I can have peace whether I live in a mansion or I live in a shack because I have the anointing oil of the Holy Spirit. It will take me through the hard times and it will take me through the good times. 
Christians should have such gladness that everyone around them says, I wish I had some of that. Now, the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness. Heaviness in Hebrews means putting out a lamp. When you have a heavy heart, you feel like the lamp is out inside of you. You can exchange that feeling of the lamp going out on the inside with a garment of praise. The word garment literally means covering. Be covered all over with praise. Being covered all over with praise. For heaviness, for depression, for feeling bad, for being discouraged, you can get into the habit of praising the Lord. Notice what I said. You can get into the habit of praising the Lord. It's not going to come natural for you to praise in those times, but you can get into the habit of praising him. It may take a little while, and it may take some practice, but you can do it. The moment one of these feelings starts in you, force yourself to praise the Lord with your lips. Take God, thank God with your mouth, praise him for being God, praise him for being your Lord. Remember the song, this joy I have, the world didn't get to me and the world can't take it away. And I don't care what goes on around me, the world didn't give me my joy. Jesus Christ gave me my joy. He came and died on a cross for me to give me joy, to give me hope. So the world can't take it away. They can bomb. They, we could have wars. We can have all kinds of things. But they, they can't take our joy. If we're rooted and grounded in the word of God, they cannot take our joy. And we need to get into that place to where we live in that joy and we recognize no matter what's going on around us, we live in that joy. And a most recent song, I don't know, I may attempt to try and, and sing this. I'm trading my sorrow. I'm trading my shame. I'm laying them down for the joy of the Lord. I'm trading my sickness. I'm trading my pain. I'm laying it down for the joy of the Lord. Then it says, yes, Lord, yes, Lord, yes, yes, Lord. Yes, Lord, yes, Lord, yes, yes, Lord. Yes, Lord, yes, Lord, yes, yes, Lord. Amen. I'm laying them down for the joy of the Lord. Notice that. Yes, Lord, yes, Lord, yes, Lord. When they wrote that song, I don't know if they meant it that way or not, but this is the way that I take it. Yes, I'm laying down my sickness. I'm laying down my pain. I'm laying down my shame. I'm laying down all of this for the joy of the Lord because he is my strength. Walking in the fruit of the Spirit is a choice. Do we want the joy of the Lord? Do we want to produce the good fruit in abundance? We have to ask ourselves that question. And I'm almost finished, but I want to uh, read this email that my friend Barbara um, Gleason in Australia sent me. Uh, she and I have been emailing back and forth all week. She's been just encouraging me. She wanted to know what I was speaking on today, and I shared it with her. And she found this, and so she sent it to me, and I thought, oh, this is so perfect. And it's called The Two Wolves. One evening, an old Cherokee told his grandson about a battle that was going on inside of him. He said, my son, it is between two wolves. One is evil, anger, envy, sorrow, regret, greed, arrogance, self-pity, guilt, resentment, inferiority, lies, false pride, superiority, and ego. The other is good, joy, peace, love, hope, serenity, 
humility, kindness, benevolence, empathy, generosity, truth, compassion, and faith. The grandson thought about it for a, a minute, and then he asked the grandfather, which wolf wins? The old Cherokee simply replied, the one I feed. The one I feed. Barbara also told me that because of what I was sharing with her, that she hopes to write a song. And God began to give her the beginnings of this song. And I said, Barbara, I want to share your words with the lady. She said, feel free to. So these are the beginning words of the song that God is developing in Australia while we're here in uh, Tallahassee, Florida. If my eyes are upon you, then your peace is upon me. If my worship is toward you, then your joy rises up in me. If my love is for you, then your love will flow through me. Now, on the uh, handout that I gave you, and I've dropped mine, on the back I've given you this, and I would like for you to read this with me. Because truly, I believe with all of my heart how you're going to grow up in God. The directions are right here. It's very simple. Max Licato wrote this. And if you'll read along with me as I read it. I choose love. No occasion justifies hatred. No injustice warrants bitterness. I choose love. Today, I will love God and what God loves. I choose joy. I will invite my God to be the God of circumstance. I will refuse the temptation to be cynical, the tool of the lazy thinker. I will refuse to see people as anything less than human beings created by God. I will refuse to see any problem as anything less than an opportunity to see God. I choose peace. I will live forgiven. I will forgive so that I may live. I choose patience. I will overcome the inconveniences of the world. Instead of cursing the one who takes my place, I'll invite him to do so. Rather than complain that the wait is too long, I will thank God for a moment to pray. Instead of clenching my fist at new assignments, I will face them with joy and courage. I choose kindness. I will be kind to the poor, for they are alone. Kind to the rich, for they are afraid. And kind to the unkind, for such is how God has treated me. I choose goodness. I will go without a dollar before I take a dishonest one. I will be overlooked before I will boast. I will confess before I will accuse. I choose goodness. I choose faithfulness. Today I will keep my promises. My debtors will not regret their trust. My associates will not question my word. My wife will not question my love. And my children will never fear that their father will not come home. I choose gentleness. Nothing is won by force. I choose to be gentle. If I raise my voice, may it be only in praise. If I clench my fist, maybe it be only in prayer. 
If I make a demand, may it be only of myself. I choose self-control. I am a spiritual being. After this body is dead, my spirit will soar. I refuse to let what will rot rule the eternal. I choose self-control. I will be drunk only by joy. I will be impassioned only by my faith. I will be influenced only by God. I will be taught only by Christ. I choose self-control. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. To these I commit my day. If I succeed, I will give thanks. If I fail, I will seek grace. And then when this day is done, I will place my head on my pillow and rest. Praise God. Now, we are going to, um, I've got a song that I have asked him to just play for us. What I'm going to ask you to do is to just stand and I would like for you to just close your eyes, and this is the closing, and I want you just to think about Jesus, and I just want you to think about what he's done in your life. I want to put you in remembrance. This uh, is where our joy really builds. When we think about everything he's done for us, then it is joy unspeakable and full of glory. Now, the song you may think doesn't go with what I, I have uh, spoken about today. But if you really get into the song, to the words of the song, and allow your spirit just to bless him, I believe that you will see the connection here. And I have to tell you that Ruth Larson's daughter is singing this song on there. And uh, at the end of that, then Betsy, uh, if you need to come back up and, and give them directions on what to do. But if you will just stand up right now, get yourself in a spirit of just worship, thankfulness, and he's going to start the song.